0: Welcome to The Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, The Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
1: Welcome to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kenneth Amaduri. He is the chief editor at CrushTheStreet.com. Welcome to The Money Answer Show, Ken.
2: Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having me on.
1: So it'd be great to get a little bit of your background. Um, so give us the history you've had to you know coming to crush the street
2: well jordan i'm humbled to be on i mean i'm 31 years old now and uh, i've been able to uh become a self-made millionaire by the time i was 30 years old and uh, i say that to share a little bit of how i got here and of course uh just with gratefulness to be here today i have a lot to learn but of course i'm I'm glad to be here Um, my dad told me when i was a young kid if you don't want to be digging a ditch when you get older, you need to start a business. So he put a little bit of a fear in me when I was very young, uh, and that's what I did. My mom is actually from Argentina, and that country has experienced a tremendous amount of uncertainty. She had a, a business when she was growing up. Her parents had a store, and they seen hyperinflation. My grandfather died with cash under his mattress. Yeah. So, I, I was, so I was somebody who understood this at a very young age that I needed to start a business and I questioned the government. And that's where I started crushthestreet.com. And that's where we educate people and discuss all of these things across the board on how to be prepared for the trends that are coming. And that's how I became a self-made millionaire was be in front of trends and being able to anticipate human action before things start to happen. And that's what is exciting about what I get to do today. I get to invest in early stage companies and be involved with trends that put us in the receiving side of wealth transfers. And that's what's exciting about what we do at Crush the Street.
1: So just talk a little bit about the approach of Crush the Street. Uh, How do you find the opportunities? It it seems like you wanna be kind of contrarian in various ways. What is the kind of rationale behind crush the street
2: well I, I got to tell you it, it's one of those things where uh, the mainstream media tends to lag what is truly happening and so we've opted out of conventional wisdom for many years and uh, you know the, you have the gold bugs right that were called in the 2008 financial crisis and, and I would put myself largely in that category uh, but you know they called this recession that would you know be ongoing forever stocks would never rebound and gold was gonna to go to the moon, and you know, all of these people with their tinfoil hats are going to be the ones on uh, the victors, right? But um, you know, what we've been able to do is take the, the middle ground truths of a lot of these things, you know, a lot of the extreme predictions, and look at where is likely to be the next wave of, of more buying than selling. Like right now, the stock market is largely overvalued for a number of reasons. You have the Fed out there trying to control things, saying that things are okay, But uh, really, we don't see that to be the the case. And so, I mean, we're going to be talking a lot of a few investments over this. Yes, this uh, channel today, this talk. And, you know. That's how we position ourselves. We get in front of things before they start to happen. I mean, Bitcoin was one of our hugest successes at crushthestreet.com, and many people blew it off. They thought it was monopoly money. They were, you know, they treated it like whatever. But the fact is, Bitcoin was a a huge uh, success for us because we anticipated a basic thing that more people were going to be buying cryptocurrency. Than selling it, you know, and we used a lot of metrics to anticipate that. We saw the network effect growing out. We saw, uh, you know, problems around the world, countries like Venezuela and Greece, and you know, Argentina, and in a lot of these different places that were having banking crisis And we saw this as, wow, this is a real solution for many millions of people around the world. And sure enough, we saw crypto go from $11 Bitcoin to $20,000 Bitcoin. A lot of people are disparaging it now, right, you know, at $8,000. But, you know, that's not an exactly uh, a bad thing when you got in it, you know, between $11 and $800. I mean, it's it's pretty spectacular.
1: (laughs) Very good. Let's kind of start with a broad view of things where we are. So we've got the Federal Reserve has gone from an easing. Well, it was tightening. Now it's kind of easing. Um, It's buying back securities. Europe is loaded with trillions of dollars in negative interest rate bonds out there. Japan seems to be weak. China seems to be kind of slowing down. What is your kind of worldwide view of of what's causing the current economic condition we're in right now?
2: Well, we don't have capitalism in our country and in our world for that matter. Things are manipulated, things are controlled. And a huge example of that is the fact that there even is negative interest rates. And it's an impossibility. Uh, and, you know, this is just, you know, one of the symptoms of, of the debt problems that we have and just the misallocation of capital that we have around the world. But it just doesn't work in a real free market environment. You know, in, an ex- in a transaction, there's a give on both sides, right? You know, with negative interest rates, you have lenders giving by lending money and then giving again by paying for that service to give. And the recipient gets and gets again and capitalism doesn't work that way and uh it's like water flowing uphill if you will and that's what we have around the world right now i mean we have this you know debt here in, in the us 22 trillion dollars uh, of debt i mean it's growing at what 9% a year uh you know deutsche bank you know in terms of europe is is about to implode uh the ECB i mean we're the heroes of negative interest rates they went from negative point four percent to negative point five percent they announced assets repurchasing again and i mean global debt has increased since 2008 by 80 trillion dollars yep. and just to give you a metric uh, of one trillion dollars with each dollar being represented but represented by a second i mean that's 31,710 10 years and we've really, in a sense, been thrown back into the Stone Age when you consider what is happening globally. And th- this, is, this is the problem. I mean, we have so many zombie companies right now in the U.S., around the world. Uh, I want to say 15% of companies in Europe are, are zombie companies, meaning that they're dependent on easy money. And really, without it, there, there would be no uh, business that they would have. And, and this represents a lot of people. It's like, you know, 40, 50 million people that would be affected if we didn't have this easy money, this negative interest rate policy. And there's so much distortions right now. I mean, right now in Europe, you can get a 10 year bond for 1.3%. For you know, the US 10 year bond is 1.8%. How does that make any sense that the US needs to pay more than Greece? for for the same sort of bond. I mean, apples to apples, I I like Greek food, but uh, there's just a massive distortion that has happened around the world, and and that's what I see happening. It's hard to know what exactly is going to cause the recession, what the recession is going to look like, but you can see all these fissures that are happening, and massive boom and bust cycles are taking place, right, in the stock market, real estate market, what we saw in 2008, the dot-com crisis, I mean, normally, when, if you saw if you saw
1: there was eighty trillion dollars of new money being created in the last ten years, that should be wildly inflationary and under normal circumstances. Yet it seems that we're in a deflationary side where things are falling further. Why is it that the, that huge influx of liquidity has not caused inflation and, and has caused, in a certain way, deflation?
2: Well, it's it's the world has been trying to deflate since two thousand eight. And they continue to pump money into the system, and it's just not circling the right hands. Uh, and again, it's it's not something that is easy to quantify and to uh, articulate because you know we're beyond what's rational in our economy. It's it's one of those situations where uh, we've beyond we've gone beyond what the Fed understands, what central banks have understood, and you know trying to contain this car that's going 130 miles an hour down the highway that just lost its brakes there's a lot of problems that are taking place and so throwing trillions of dollars at this thing is going to have implications and i know it's going to be fatal uh one thing i like to tell people and you know it, this kind of wraps it, it helps people understand why it's difficult to understand how this is going to quote unquote end is imagine, you know, looking at someone who's 300 pounds overweight. Uh, You assume in the next year they're probably going to die of a heart attack or a stroke or, you know, make some sort of extreme prediction on that. But you don't anticipate that they might sit on a chair, break the chair, hit their head, and end up in some sort of coma in the hospital for 10 years on life support, you know. And that's sort of what we're dealing with right now. And, you know, people try to make this perfect prediction on what's going to happen, When it's impossible to actually do. And so uh, that's kind of where I am. And that's why I take a step back. And when I think about my investments and what I'm going to do, I'm very defensive. My goal is to not lose money, not lose purchasing power, and to buy real estate that makes the most amount of sense. And again, from that very defensive position uh, into protecting my capital and to try to grow it longer term.
1: What would be a catalyst that you would look for for the unraveling of this whole dangerous situation you see?
2: Well, it's funny. I mean, we just had that that repo crisis, right, that yes. came out of nowhere. Uh, I mean, nobody was predicting that. Uh, so it was a r- interest rate situation. I think it's going to have to be some sort of stock market problem. You know, asset prices are going to get out of control uh, and start to unravel because, You know, it could be in the bond market. It could be, you know, start to be dollar crisis, but it's going to be a chain reaction. You know, momentum will build up. uh, But I would say it's going to either be in the stock market or the bond market, considering we have, uh, you know, this negative interest rate environment. uh, You know, once we have a situation where it's difficult to get buyers of treasury bills and, you know, we lose control of interest rates. I believe that could be a massive catalyst that really sets off the next momentum of this recession.
1: Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. Uh, My guest this hour is Kenneth Amaduri. Uh, He is the chief editor at CrushTheStreet.com, which is a free newsletter. There's a podcast. Uh, You can find out more at his website, CrushTheStreet.com. We'll be back after this.
3: Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now toll free 866 472 5790. That's 866 472 5790. Voice America Business Network.
0: Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books,
3: and find your frequency live fridays at 12 noon pacific time 3 p.m eastern time on the voice america variety channel we're always talking business talk to an expert call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Ken Amaduri. He's the chief editor at CrushTheStreet.com, which is a newsletter, a podcast. All of it's free. You can get at CrushTheStreet.com. Welcome back to the show, Ken.
2: Hey, Jordan. Good to be back.
1: With the economic background, we just talked about negative interest rates, all this money being flowed out. One area you do like is gold and silver and precious metals. What is the base case for gold from current levels? And then we'll get into some specific ways to play it. But why should gold do well in this environment?
2: Well, look, uh, look what happened last year when the Fed, you know, realized that, you know, this tightening monetary policy uh, really started to come into question, you know, the stock market corrected by 20% and then gold started to wake up, you know, at the end of 2018 and then we went into 2019. It started to kind of be lackluster once again and then at the end of May, uh, it, it really skyrocketed into the summer. I mean, we saw what, 1550 gold, you know, up from $1,300 gold. It was a, a, a really exciting time and you know, what, what's the upside? I mean, is that it? You know, we've, we're dealing with so much post-traumatic stress from the years of, of gold being, you know, in this what seemed to be like a bear market. You know, people are so hesitant to buy. And anecdotally, I mean, I speak to gold dealers all the time. I mean, still 70 percent of the retail crowd is selling gold and only 30 percent are buying. But really, it's coming from central banks. Central banks are buying gold. And last year, they had a, ret- uh, a record amount of buying. 600, 650 metric tons of gold were bought in 2018 by central banks. And they're on track to do that again at higher prices. You know, Why are central banks
1: out? buying so much gold?
2: Well, I think they know something that the, the retail crowd doesn't. Uh, And so, you know, and that was a 50-year record that they broke right away, not not an an all-time record. But uh, the ETFs are buying gold. And, you know, just to give you a metric here, you know, historically, 2% of portfolios in the U.S. have been in precious metals. Right now, that number is one-half of 1%. Now, in 1980, it was as high as 8%. So we're still very low in terms of what people own in their portfolios when it comes to precious metals. It's, you know, it's bound to go higher in my opinion and even a small move like that will be astronomical for, for the price of, of gold. And, you know, I can give you even some, some more historical data. Okay, go in, actually, for it. 1980 gold was $850, you know, inflation adjusted its high should be 2,600. Yeah. Silver, you know, it's only 1750 right now. Inflation adjusted for its 1980 high, it should be $155. And of course, the implications for the mining sector, you know, if, if a gold company's cost to produce is $1,100, and at $1,300 gold, they're making $200 a move to fifteen hundred dollars is a hundred percent increase in its revenues so we're we're talking about extreme leverage with small moves in the price of gold and it, it is really exciting but i know people are are very hesitant about this because of what we've seen over the last number of years and markets have a way of washing and rinsing investors you know how many people uh, missed out on 11 or 1050 gold. Didn't buy at the bottom because it was a falling knife scenario. Then bought, you know, in 2016 when it went to 1350, and then sold when it went back to 1100. You know, that's the way markets work, and you really have to have some some fortitude and some understanding, and and have a longer term horizon on what you do, and not be wrapped up with the emotions of the market. And I, I like to. Compare what we're seeing right now to a Bitcoin $3,000 moment. You know, gold moved from $1,300 to $1,500, and people want $1,300 gold again to buy. And, you know, a $3,000 Bitcoin, you know, everyone wanted $1,500 and $2,000 Bitcoin, you know, and so, but then it, it kept moving, and, and in and that window of opportunity kind of went away. And people ended up having to buy a $15,000 Bitcoin, thinking that it might go to $100,000 in 2017, right? Yeah. And that's the psychology of investors. And when gold really starts to ramp up and we have big moves that get it into a, a you know a raging bull market, people are going to be more excited about you know, $2,500 gold, $3,000 gold than they are $1,500 because of their most recent experience of how... How fast it moved from 2000 to 2500 to 3000, thinking that. What
1: would be your favorite ways to play gold, assuming it's going to have a big rise? Would you buy physical coins? Would you buy mining shares? Would you buy the GLD, which owns physical gold? Would you buy junior mining companies? What would be your favorite way to play, assuming that there's going to be a big ramp up in gold prices?
2: Well, I will tell you this physical gold is the safest way to own gold to expose yourself. I mean, there's, there's so many things But you don't, you de-risk yourself from the risk of a company, you know, you attach yourself to a company, then you, you deal with the problems of that. Um, aside from that, you can own some of the biggest companies in the world, like Barrick or, you know, Newmont or Gold Corp, some of these majors that are out there, uh, that give you that exposure that have that first mover advantage that have the dominant, you know, force in the market and uh you know have less of that downside risk but the upside to the rising price in the gold price the rising price of gold you know the exponential returns on the revenues and the net asset values i mean that's where things get really exciting when you start to own the mining companies i mean you look at first majestic silver i mean this company moves when the price of silver moves and something that's really interesting, I would mentioned about this, I mean, I've been watching First Majestic Silver uh, for years now. And in this current environment, when we do have, you know, moves in the silver price that are significantly down, we're not seeing that same sort of downward pressure in a company like First Majestic Silver because there's a real sea change that is happening, I believe, in precious metals. Uh, the companies, you know, they're starting to be a little more of a belief that, Things are going higher from here. We're starting to see companies really ramp up their drilling programs, really ramp up uh, their operations to a point where uh, they're getting ready for this move in gold, which is exciting. It's exciting for for me to see the people in the industry start to, to get a little more aggressive in what they're doing for the business plan, preparing for that higher gold price at higher silver price so you talked about watching the majors
1: specific- you talked about the gold corps and new corp uh, uh Newmont mining and barrack how about some of the junior mining ones uh I mean, one way to play it is gdxj which is an etf of all the juniors or are there are some specific junior miners that you like as well
2: yeah i mean triumph gold corp was uh you know my latest speculative play that we're looking at it trades under ticker symbol tig on the toronto stock exchange I mean, this is a company that that Newmont has actually owned 20% on. They they went in and bought it for, for 53 cents. They own their shares at 53 cents. And uh, this is a company that, you know, arguably could be worth $520 million. They're trading for 40 $40 million right now. Uh, you know, the, the CEO, the chairman, they've gone in and turned the Free Gold project that's in the Yukon, they they drilled the deepest and richest hole in Yukon history with Triumph Gold Corp. And um, they're really hitting, striking while the iron's hot. They they purchased this company, they financed it in the depths of the bear market. And I think Fortune can really favor their timing here as they're really hitting the ground running with gold prices going 1500 plus. it's, it's a really exciting way to play this. Uh, you know, in terms of silver companies, I'd look at first the majestic silver if you're looking for a, a smaller uh, way to play. There's not that many ways to play silver, by the way. Uh, there's a ton of silver out there. Well, but while you're
1: talking about silver, what is the case for silver over gold? Silver is more of an industrial metal. But why would silver have a bigger move or a more significant move than gold?
2: Well, you know... Looking at it from a monetary perspective and just actually uh, over time, I mean, history, history shows that silver moves in bull markets for gold much more than gold. Uh, I mean, the move in, in just to get to its all-time high, gold needs to move, what, 25%, 30% to get to its all-time high of $1,900. Silver, you know, almost needs to triple to get to its all-time high. Silver is a much smaller market than gold, Uh, you know, just a small move in gold will spill over into silver and it's just like the way the cryptos move, you know, Bitcoin moves first and then you have a lot more of the smaller companies that follow it. Uh, And and in the precious metals world, there's not a whole lot of ways to play this uh, in terms of physical. Uh, It's not like crypto, which can be printed and created a, a million different times. There's only two precious metals in the world, and, and gold and silver are one of them. We're just at historically low prices. Yeah. Uh, it's time. I mean, with financialized assets at record numbers, a small move you know, into precious metals is going to have serious implications of it. I mean, Russia is, is uh, removing the VAT tax on, on gold, on a lot of their gold, which is incentivizing their people to own gold which no. is very interesting, very exciting uh, if you, for those if, people.
1: If, if what we talked about before, that there may be some catalyst to kind of bring down the economy that's overinflated, if that were to happen, would that be very positive for gold and silver?
2: Well, if we look at what happened in 2008, initially there's going to be a liquidity crisis uh, when you have issues with, uh, stocks coming down, you know, margin calls and, and all of these different things, people sell anything and everything to, to meet those demands, meet those creditors and, and any, you know, to pay their bills and, you know, what people need to do. But, uh, I believe that will be short term and temporary because I believe capital will re-enter these safe haven assets quickly. Uh, and so there's a possibility that we see a short term correction, but, the window of opportunity, I believe, is still now. I don't think you wait for something like that to happen and hope you catch a, a small break here because the reality is silver could be at $30 when that happens and it moves to $25 and, uh, and then it moves back up again. Uh, so trying to sell $1750 silver, hoping for $12 silver for it to go to $50, I, I don't think is the way you play it here. Um, So it's possible we see a short-term correction, but it could be at much higher prices. In fact, I I would almost guarantee that it's going to be at much higher prices than where we are today. I don't think we're going to see these prices for too much longer.
1: Do you like the ETFs as a way to play the broader sector, like the GDX for bigger companies and GDXJ for the smaller companies?
2: I personally don't. Um, Not that I'm against it, it's just because I'm in the sector, uh, I own the companies directly and I, I have my own basket, if you will, of companies that I own. Uh, so the GDX and the GDXJ, I mean, there are, there are ways for people to, I guess, to really not have to, to do too much brain work and, and think about it, which, again, is I'm not against whatsoever. And by the way, uh, the HUI, if you look at it, uh, tells a lot in this current environment. Uh, at $1,400 gold in 2016, Uh, the HUI, and by the way, in 2016, it was only 1400 for like a second. I mean, for the most part, it was 1350. Uh, The HUI was like 270, 280. And in this environment with $1,500 gold, in a gold at 1550 or so, the HUI went to like 225. And so what this tells me is that the mining sector, despite a higher gold price, there's a lot of people in denial of where we are and the potential for us to see a massive move higher in some of these precious metals companies is very much there. It's, 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 um, it's not being reflected because again, I go back to that post traumatic stress of what we've dealt with for so many years, we need a higher and higher gold and silver price for, to get that confidence back in the sector. And we haven't seen that yet. Once we get to $1,600 gold, You know, $1,700 gold, things will really start to ramp up.
1: This is what Keynes used to call the animal spirits, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're going to take another break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Kenneth Amaduri. He's the chief editor of the website and podcast crushthestreet.com. We'll be back after this.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kenneth Amaduri. He's the chief editor at CrushTheStreet.com. It's a free newsletter and podcast uh, that you can get at that website, CrushTheStreet.com. Welcome back to the show, Ken. Hey, Jordan. So we've okay. talked about the stock market. We've talked about gold and precious metals. The next area to discuss, which you're an expert in, is cryptocurrencies. You got in very early. It had a huge rise, a big fall. It's kind of come back, uh, particularly Bitcoin. What is, before we get into the pricing, what is the, the reason why you think cryptos could go much higher? Are they going to be used? Are we going to be buying and selling things in cryptos? Or what is the use case for cryptos long term?
2: Well, you know, specifically for uh, when it comes to Bitcoin, uh, there is a situation right now where I believe it's going to be used as a store of value. And yes, it's going to be used to transact worldwide. And it's going to be something that people can slowly start to use globally. I mean, really, there's no currency around the world that the government has issued that historically have ever lasted. And with something like crypto or Bitcoin specifically that's limited, that nobody controls, that has an immense network effect, I believe this is going to be around for many, many years. And it's got so many reasons. It's a first mover. It's a dominator. And it's something that people are building more and more trust in as they realize the actual Bitcoin network is impenetrable. I mean, it's something that, you know, is really revolutionary. And because of that, there's going to be a lot of reasons why people get into it. Um, Largely, you know, because of this belief that it is something that's sound and works, we're going to have the the institutional money start to move into crypto. And once we see that to just the, the smallest degree, I mean, Bitcoin has to Go up. I mean, it's it's really like uh, Niagara Falls going into a water hose, um, and I believe that is going to happen uh, and continue to go higher. Now, you know, sure, we're at eight thousand dollars now. You know, I'm sure a lot of people wish they heard this that Bitcoin eleven dollars. You know, is it going to eight million dollars? I mean, I I don't think it's going to go that high, uh, but I, I mean, do I think that it needs to go much higher to get to a stable price? Yes. I mean, gold has had 5,000 years for the world to get introduced to it and for the price to find some sort of equilibrium. Bitcoin has only been around for 10 years, and there's still a lot of people that don't understand it, don't trust it, and rightfully so. It's very rational, and if we can manage our expectations, it's normal for this to be something that's very volatile and, and people still trying to understand it. But I'm to a point where I believe that many more people are going to come around. I believe that institutional money is going to start uh, coming into Bitcoin to a larger degree. And, you know, even non-correlated funds, you know, a portion of portfolios where you don't want something correlated to the stock market, for instance. I mean, this is going to be a part of, of portfolios and funds that you know, don't even have to do a crypto. I mean, I've invested in some crypto hedge funds just to throw some money at them, support some startups. Yeah. But, um, I mean, this is going to be all over. It's going to so be how, mainstream. And be, how would the, you
1: recommend, some, from somebody who agrees with you that they think uh, crypto and Bitcoin particularly, is going to go much higher, how would you recommend that they play it? Are there specific platforms that you like? Should they keep it on a platform? Should they have a wallet off the platform? Uh, how uh, how you uh, have people play it?
2: Yeah, I mean, and it's such a hard thing to to just be a blanket statement for somebody. I mean, if I was talking to someone who's sixty-five who has saved forty years of wealth and has compounded it, and you know, this forty years of wealth is representative in five hundred thousand dollars. You know, I'd be very cautious to say, hey, put your money or a large portion of that in Bitcoin. Uh, you know, maybe a, a small one or two percent, three percent. And if it does what I think it's going to do, that 1% or 2% will, re- will reflect, you know, and be 5 and 10% of their portfolios longer term. And they don't have to be too concerned about the ups and downs of this. But, you know, if you're a younger person, you haven't saved a whole lot of money, you want to throw a couple paychecks. At it, you know, and and you know, you're 30 years old. You haven't saved for 30 years. Yeah, you could put 50 percent of your portfolio in something like Bitcoin. I mean, I know that's an extreme thing, but for someone who hasn't done any savings, they want to just speculate a little bit. It's a much different world.
1: And uh, how would you do it? What platform specifically? Is it Gemini? Is it, Binance? Which platform? Yeah, do
2: you I mean, I've bought my crypto through Coinbase. I bought them through some individual uh, brokers, people who sell. Uh, And that, to me, doesn't make a whole lot of difference where you buy it. I mean, unless you want to keep some sort of anonymity, you want to buy it on the street. uh, You know, you want you don't want the government in your business. I mean, all of that stuff. I mean, you know, do do as you will. But um, you can get crypto on Coinbase. It's the platform that really was responsible for the 2017 rise it made yeah. it very easy for people to onboard into bitcoin and i think you should you can buy it there and uh you move it onto a wallet yeah you know you don't want to trust a lot of these newer platforms uh because they're they're not tried and tested i mean we've seen the failures of a lot of these businesses these people have them stolen,
1: right they've had their bitcoin stolen online. yeah
2: yeah well and and they've had a, a lot of situations where uh those platforms that have failed have reflected on the Bitcoin prices across the board. And that's starting to be uh, not as much of an issue because people are starting to understand there's a difference between a company that services the Bitcoin network and actually the Bitcoin network. Yeah. So, yeah, hold your money. But, you know, it's just like owning gold at your house. Somebody can come into your house and, and take your gold, right? Yeah. Uh, a little harder to do that with, with crypto, but it's very easy to lose a thumb drive or yes. some sort of code. I mean, these are things that you really have to think about when it comes to your wealth, especially if you, you know, there's like some of these millennial entrepreneurs who bought in 2015 and they got, you know, a few hundred thousand, a, a million dollars in crypto. Um, you really have to protect that, you know, and, and you're the heir when it comes to those things. You're the You're the problem. You're the risk. So the and big
1: question crypto- about crypto, yeah. the big question about crypto always is, well, these governments and these central banks don't like this, and they're going to try to close it down. I think Korea and China have basically said, we don't want any cryptocurrency trading at all. How is this going to succeed if all the governments and central banks of the world are against it?
2: Well, I don't think all the governments and central banks are going to be against it. Um, I believe it's going to happen where there are going to be certain governments, especially ones that need the capital, they're going to understand like, hey, there's an opportunity to to uh, attract capital into our country because the blockchain is a great platform. It's going to be used in business, and uh, there's going to there's going to be a lot of ways to to generate business on the blockchain. And so, I don't think it's going to be this complete world. Uh, control over this blockchain platform and because of that capital is going to flow where it's treated best going back to that capitalism talk talk water flows downhill and you know if you try to contain water in your hand it's going to come out somewhere it's impossible Um, and so especially as we talk about some of the problems that go on in government uh, you know Argentina Venezuela you know a lot of these countries do a lot of things to contain a capital in their countries. And, you know, in those types of countries, there's extreme controls over things like, you know, money flows and money transfers. But something like Bitcoin, I mean, this has offered people the opportunity to put, you know, crypto on their computer, you know, leave the country, you know, go to Denmark or wherever you want to go, have your money there. And even if you don't like it, sell it. I mean, and that's where a lot of the value is going to come from. It's going to come from the unsustainability from, uh, crypt, uh, from these countries, and their capital is going to flow to where it's treated best. And on the blockchain, on this decentralized network uh, that people trust, it, it's a great place uh, to, to put your money to a certain degree, especially if it's something like the Venezuelan Boulevard. I mean, yes. what's more volatile than that? Right. We look at we use a, the dollar as a benchmark, but you know what about these other currencies that are, right, really that are worthless? Expensive? Basically, All right, Before
1: we go to break, I just want to get a brief thing, and we're going to talk about more after the break, which is cannabis stocks. Uh, you've been a big advocate of those. They had a big rise when they were legalized in Canada in October of 2018. For the most part, they've been falling ever since. Is cannabis a long-term growth industry? People should invest in.
2: A hundred percent. Uh, cannabis is, uh, now beyond the threshold of legalization. I know we haven't seen it here in the U S but you know, now that we've seen California go legal, how does the rest of the country not fall in line with it, especially with all the revenues that they're going to be making? Uh, 62% of Americans think marijuana should be legalized. Uh, 74% 74% of millennials are in favor and, you know, even the baby boomers are coming around. And so, you know, with all the jobs that it's going to be created, I, I don't know how people can be against cannabis uh, for too much longer when you have uh, just all the revenues that are going to be coming in. And, and you have a situation, too, where you have these like more liberal cities where the, the dispensaries are in uh, the legal aspect of them there and the support of you know, the more liberal population, but then you have the farmers too, which are gonna start benefiting from it, right? You know, these are the people who may be largely conservative that are gonna get educated and they're gonna start making money growing cannabis. Uh, So you're gonna have this bridging of political gaps when it comes to cannabis, especially when you start getting the medical research that uh, cannabis is largely a superior vice than many uh, of these other. Uh, so, if,
1: if it's such a growth industry, why have the stocks fallen so sharply in the last few months?
2: Well, I mean, companies get out in front of their skis, right? And that's the way markets uh, markets work. I mean, canopy growth really wasn't making any money, and you know the valuations were getting out of control. And uh, markets are the markets. You know, people think that they're gonna go to the moon, and uh, things get out in front of themselves. And then when the bear market's set in, it's brutal. Uh, When people start to, when you buy a stock and it goes down 50%, uh, you get burned like that. And then, you know, it keeps going down. It it creates a a bad, horrible sentiment for people to jump back in. So it's really going to take companies growing their fundamental earnings and building out a real infrastructure before, you know, we can justify the values for a lot of these companies. And once that starts to happen, then you can have sustainable growth in the cannabis sector and really start to have these companies paying out dividends. And, you know, you can have the anheuser bushes of the cannabis sector come out and, you know, medical companies, you know, companies that service medical companies and, you know, all of these different things that are going to come about because of it. But we're in a situation now where things just got out in front of themselves, and bear markets are brutal. <laughs> that's that's the that's fact. That was
1: very good. All right, we're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Ken Amaduri. Uh, he is the chief editor at CrushTheStreet.com. You can go to that website. You get a free newsletter, free podcast, all kinds of information about investing at CrushTheStreet.com. We'll be back after this.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answers Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Kenneth Amaduri. He is the chief editor at CrushTheStreet.com. And you can go to that website, CrushTheStreet.com, to get more from him. Welcome back to the show, Ken. Hey, Jordan. So another area you're interested in is artificial intelligence or AI. Um, Just kind of give us a general sense of where we are now in AI and where it's going to be going and how that's going to be affecting people's lives.
2: Yeah, well, it's an interesting thing. We actually uh, did a short documentary on this, uh, uh, you know, a year, a couple years ago. Uh, But AI is one of those things when you have the bridging of the gap of humans and and machines and and machines getting smarter than humans in so many ways and and that's the real implication of this and I remember when I uh, saw Google's AlphaGo, DeepMind, uh, beat the the most sophisticated player Lee Soto, in a, a game of Go. It's this ancient Chinese game. I mean, think about you know checkers or chess, but uh, there's like you know, more possibilities to play this game than there are atoms in the universe. So there's no way to pre-program the game or the 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 intelligence of this machine. And they started it off with a blank slate and it continued to to learn how to play this game until it actually beat the best player at it. And that's huge. I mean this is this is the implication. You're going to start seeing AI take over you know, not just menial jobs, not just repetitive jobs, but jobs that are six figure salaries, sure. uh, you know, analytical jobs, um, you know, and, and really start to uh, bridge that gap. And, and, you know, a lot of people are concerned about it. A lot of people worry about it. Um, and it, it it's going to be a game changer for many people who are like in the truck driving industry and, and whatnot, uh, who depended on a career that's going to be disrupted by, you know, artificial intelligence. Uh, But overall, I think it's going to be huge in terms of the growth that we're going to see. Where will the winners
1: be? We, We talked about the losers, people who have jobs that can be kind of automated by artificial intelligence, but who would be some of the winners or industries, or how would consumers benefit from AI in various ways?
2: Well, I mean, just think about, like, health, for instance you know, we're gonna see artificial intelligence in our health. I mean, I I don't know if you have any sort of monitoring going on right now actively on your body. Well, I have an Apple Watch, Apple Watch does There you go, there you go. And then you knew where I was uh, doing my interview from before the show here, Um, but you know, what, what if we all had some sort of device on us that was monitoring our heart, monitoring our blood pressure, monitoring our, you know, diabetes level, sugars, and all of these different things in a real-time basis? Um, you know, at the surrender of extreme yeah. privacy, uh, would we all start living longer? I mean, is that a possibility? You know, yeah. the, and so... Uh, there's a lot of implications too, on just even our lives. Uh, the sacrifice of privacy for for sec- you know for our, our livelihood our, and that's going to be huge. And we're gonna see that happen more and more. I mean, I don't have anything on me right now, but I kind of to a degree, uh, wish I did. I mean, I got a, an Alexa in my house, we got a Google home. I mean we have you know con- people listening to us uh, in different ways. Uh, But, you know, they may also make our lives easier. I mean, personal assistants now, instead of, you know, really needing a a personal assistant, maybe uh, you get some of that work done with a calendar, talking to uh, Google and, you know, optimizing our drives to to work. And, um, you know, one of the ways that I think we're going to see a lot of efficiency take place is if we do get these driverless cars, uh, I, I, Elon Musk thinks that there's going to be a ten x reduction in traffic accidents.
1: Yeah. so you think so if we have a ten x reduction? Just driverless just, cars and driverless trucks are going to happen. There's a lot of people who are resisting them and saying they're going to be accidents, and people like to drive, so they don't want to give it up. But you think it's going to be real, and and how quickly do you think they'll we'll start really seeing a lot of driverless cars and trucks out there?
2: i mean that's an industry that takes some time i mean, even like the life cycle of a car is what seven years five to seven ten years i mean it it's going to happen quickly but i think it's gonna you know quickly might be you know 2030 to to 2040 and i i know that seems like a longer time frame in terms of you know what we normally look at but it's actually relatively quick in terms of a a real revolution in uh, the the way we drive our cars and the way we get around, and, and so other
1: areas is, is robotics. How do you see artificial intelligence? I mean, how smart are robots going to get, and how will that be seen in our lives?
2: Well, uh, you know, it's robots are going to be able to uh, anticipate things for us. I mean, we're seeing that now, right, with weather and you know, anticipating better routes. Um, I mean, I, I don't even have to tell my phone now where my home is. You know, it knows exactly where I I live based on just the patterns and the things I do in my life. So, I mean, we're going to see targeting ads that make it easier for companies that do, you know, ads and different things like that. Uh, One thing I I think you might have told me this, Jordan, and it it stuck with me. Um, People are Airbnb uses Artificial intelligence. I mean, I I think your your son works there. Like 150 to 200,000 leases happen every day. There's 5 million leases every uh, you know at at any one. That's right. Well, it's about
1: 300,000 a day, and they have five million listings. That's the latest numbers. Yes.
2: Yeah. So you know, and and people think like, oh my gosh, you know, we're going to be revolutionized by you know this new technology and AI. Uh, Taking over all these jobs, but this opportunity has given people uh, an opportunity to to open up their doors and create a business like we've never had before. What an opportunity that is! Uh, And then creating, um, you know, job opportunities and businesses and and affordable travel that we've never had before. Uh, And so I I really think that you know there's going to be a lot of things that are very indirect that come about. That people aren't even wrapping their minds around, and I'll give you an example here. We have the the car, the automobile. When that came around, uh, we also had fast food that became like an indirect boom yeah. because of the automobile. People being able to go through drive-throughs now that that became a thing because of an automobile, and I guess people weren't even anticipating that. And we're going to have some you know huge uh, impacts with AI that are going to completely change the way uh... participate them now. Yes,
1: we we have about two minutes to go, Ken, just kind of sum up the opportunity for people to do better in this very volatile environment. We've talked about cryptos. We've talked about gold. uh, We we talked about a lot of things kind of sum up the opportunity available and the dangers available from what we've talked about.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, You know, it's, Important for people to take this and use it as motivation Use it as maybe you know a little bit of fear if you would or um, uh, Something to say hey, I need to take one step today that will compound over time That will get me ahead that will strengthen my network that will strengthen my skills You know one thing that people Believe and which is a half lie is that you need capital to make money you need money to make money And that's only half true. When it comes to uh, seed capital, a lot of times that comes from your talent, that comes from your skills, that comes from your hard work. And when you understand that, you're able to apply those things to attract capital that can then grow you over time. And using a lot of this information for me on a micro level is motivation to build my business. That's how I became a, a multimillionaire by the time I was 30 years old. And so I, I, I highly an, encourage people to get out there and to find out what their passions are and to develop networks and to pour themselves into things uh, that, you know, are going to compound on themselves and the indirect benefits, the synergy that you start to create in your life uh, will really start to get ahead. And even savings, once you start to get in that mode of savings and investing, it might seem small at first. But once you start to build that and get good at it and then you start meeting other investors that are good at it and, and just to build a network, I mean, it starts to really compound and you start to find better deals. You, you get better deals on real estate, all of these different things. So I know well, we're out of time, Jordan. Yes. Thanks for come, uh, letting me come on the show. And uh,
1: Very good. Uh, well, thank you so much. My guest has been Ken Amaduri. Uh, he's the chief editor at CrushTheStreet.com. You can go to that website CrushTheStreet.com to find out more. He's got a free newsletter, a free podcast, all kinds of things talking further about what we talked about today. So thanks so much for being a great guest on The Money Answer Show, Ken.
2: Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now.